Welcome to Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. And this is Mel. And this is Tosh. And this is episode three, where we will be discussing the maternal health care for Black mothers, the death toll no one is talking about. So, that was kind of heavy of a whole sentence there. Um, So some of you, well, if you haven't, you're under a rock. Um, but Serena's back. You know this, right? Because you saw that she, she just won, won that French Open in that fantastic black cat suit. I need to get one of them with her sister, and her sister won. Uh, she and her sister won the doubles. I didn't even see that for of real. Course. Yes, man. They, they come back like a like a throwback. <laughs> we need to get back. Custom made black cat suits. No yes. Doubt. Yes. I bet you that's going to be on. You know the the list. I don't know who made it, but mm-hmm. I need to get one. Um, but <laughs> so if you were living on the rock, she's back. And of course, one of the big other big topic with her was the her birth of her daughter and how where doctors basically neglected her initial symptom symptoms, but later caught it through her experience. Um, so I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, it's now kind of, I don't want to say it's now come to light, but it seems like this is a bigger topic of black health care regarding moms and OBGYNs and our black birthing experience. And maybe I was under a rock, but I had a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have a black doctor. So I think in the case of Serena, I think just her fame and her stardom is kind of what um, helped bring it more to the forefront. Uh, but her story is not an uncommon one, you know, because I can think about my personal birth story with my first child, which is somewhat similar to what she was experiencing um, in terms of not being listened to um, and, you know, trying to give doctors some suggestions and stuff. At the same time, not trying to get on anybody's toes because, of course, they're their healthcare professional. But at the same time, you know your own body. You know, no one else Mm -hmm. knows it. So if I'm giving you a symptom... You know, at least as a professional, take heed to it. What yeah. are you saying? And um, it's proven, like, through studies that just despite socioeconomic status, so no matter how wealthy you are, you could be college educated and live in the best zip codes, you're still more likely to die as a black woman or have a near miss, as they call morbidity, um, as a black woman. Because doctors don't believe black women. We are not doctors, but medical professionals and people in general do not believe black women when we say we're in pain, there's something wrong. And, you know, there's so many causes um, for our poor outcomes, Mm -hmm. um, but it really comes down to racism. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much. And so that third voice that you hear actually is (laughs) Jen Sardi. She is the president of Birth uh, Texas, which if you want to go more into detail about what Birth Texas is, you have the floor. (laughs) I'm Jen Sardui. Um, I am. It's a hard last name to pronounce. I'm married into it. It is six letters. (laughs) I get Sardé a lot. I get Sardai. I just. Oh, my God. Sardui. A lot of most of my friends call me Sardui. So now that's you're in the club. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm the president of Birth Texas. I have been president since September of 2017. I volunteered for the organization for a few years before that. 
Um, we are a nonprofit consumer advocacy organization working to improve maternal and infant outcomes um, through outreach. Mm-hmm. So um, my role as president, I'm, I like to think of myself as a bridge builder. Okay. Um, I do a lot of speaking to different birth workers and finding out what their needs are and how we can connect them with established resources in their community so that we are all connected because I feel like our birth community and our birth outcomes will be improved It only takes one voice to change somebody's experience completely. It only took one person to tell you something about a crunchy lifestyle for you to look more into it. Exactly. But if no one makes that first connection because we're so disconnected as a birth community, we will miss those opportunities. So that is the work that I do. Um, I try to build those bridges and make sure that everyone is connected so that we can be stronger and... um, Fix our community within ourselves. How did you come to find Birth Texas? Like, right. how, where, so um, I have three kids: eleven, six, and four. That four-year-old's trying me, but it's fine. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I have solidarity. So I had three really completely different birth experiences. Um, I was twenty when I had my my oldest daughter. And uh, that birth experience was so awful that it led me to want to have a better birth experience. And my mom had two scheduled cesareans. Um, You know, she didn't know anything about, like, birth option, um, but she was the best support she could possibly be for me. And so I went into uh, my second pregnancy. I'm married to my high school sweetheart, so... um, he was really supportive of us having a better birth. So uh, I fired my OB. I started my second pregnancy with an OB and fired her. And that's a lot something that a lot of women don't do. Sounds a little familiar. Fire their care providers. Please, if your care provider is not supporting you, fire your care provider. You were paying them. Somebody's paying them. Even if you're not, somebody's paying them. So, Well, well, let's back up a little bit even further. How did you, both of you, like, determine your health care provider? Like So with my first pregnancy, I, again, did not know anything. So I really picked like the first option on my insurance. Mm-hmm. And then um, my second pregnancy, um, I went with uh, the first recommendation that someone gave me. Mm. And I did not interview that provider. And this is something that I've learned um, in recent years that we should all be doing is interviewing our providers mm-hmm. and making sure, you know, don't. Make don't let anyone make you feel like their time is more valuable than yours. Right. And so if that means, hey, I'm gonna come into your office and interview you, and you're not gonna get any of my information. This is just an interview because you give your information and that's it. They're signing you up as a patient. Right. And if they're not open to being interviewed, then that's probably not the right person for you to have one of the like most important experiences that you do not get a do-over on in your life. And so, um, yeah, so for my second birth, I uh, fired my OB because she was telling me a lot of what I could not do (sighs) and not telling me a lot of what I could do. And a repeat cesarean is the safest option and, and, and. And then I I watched um, Pregnant in America, which is, it's on uh, Amazon. It's a um, documentary. It's old now. But is it with uh, Ricky Lake? No, that no. is um, 
Business of Being Born. Thank you. That's the one I'm thinking. Of. I watched Pregnancy in America first, and I was like, "Yes, this is this is exactly what I experienced. Birth is like a McDonald's. My baby was born on the fifth of July, so it was right after a holiday. That doctor wanted to go home, mm. and they like carted six medical students in the room, and it was just it was a mess. I won't get into that. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But yeah. um that it resonated so much with my soul just because this, they took my baby immediately. It was all of these things. And I'm like, I'm going towards this experience again with this doctor who is the boss of me at this point. And I'm just letting this OB run all over me. And not all OBs are like that. There are some yeah, great OBs great and obstetricians save lives. Do not get me wrong. But I wanted a different experience. And so I found a midwife, Kim Rutherford. She was amazing for me. Um, and I learned to trust myself through that process um, of working with a midwife and having someone like not just jump into measuring and weighing and blood pressure, but talk to me and knew like, you know, what was going on with me and just knew me as a friend before she was at my birth. And so um, that birth happened at like three in the morning. It was really fast. And she got there probably 15 minutes before he was born. He was quick. She lived like an hour away. So by the time I called her when my water broke, she drove. Yeah. And um, yeah, I wouldn't let her touch me because I had already transitioned when she got there. So I basically delivered that baby <laughs> in the middle of the night. My water, my husband says the water in the birth tub was freezing cold, but it felt great to me. I couldn't feel it because I was like screaming <laughs> like a mad person. So, <laughs> yeah. And so I went into that birth feeling a little more confident, but also not as knowledgeable as you can be going into a birth. Um, I did not prepare. I did not take education. Um, I did not really, I like read uh, Hypnobirth, Hypnobabies. Hypno, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read that book, but I did not like really practice. And so I said, okay, we need one more. And I think that if I had not had that first experience, my family would have felt complete with my son. But I was so intent on proving that my body was not a lemon, that I could birth a baby, um, that I decided to have another one. And um, it was completely dangerous. And I'm loath to say this on something recorded. Um, <laughs> I do not recommend it, preface, okay. but I uh, decided that I wanted the birth that I wanted and I did not want anyone to dictate anything to me, even though that was not the experience I had with birth number two. But I was so determined to prove that I, as a Black woman, could have a baby, that I had a baby in my living room with, like, it was unassisted and that's completely dangerous. Don't do that. But, yeah. um, she's, she's beautiful and fine. And I had that third baby and I felt complete. I felt like I could do it. I guess, did you have at least a consultation or someone? Yes, kind of on absolutely. For the, for yeah, the third yeah. One. Of course, of course. You we, know, had so plan, it's not like, we had plans yeah. on plans on plans, yeah, but yeah, there yeah, is yeah. a care provider for everyone. Yeah. There, the, this, there is someone out there. So don't do what I did. Yeah. Yeah. But I say that, um, to be open and vulnerable and to show, like, I understand the lengths that women will go to to prove a doctor wrong. And I want to tell you that you don't have to do that. You can have the birth you want the first time. So how do we have the birth that we want the first time around? Uh, again, I think that making those connections with, among providers. So if you go... Like, what questions did you ask when you went to the interview? Like, I didn't do an interview. I... I knew what I was looking for, um, and I'll preface this by saying I have my my child in California and under PPO insurance, and, you know, hey, you know, Paid Family Leave Act is fantastic what? in that state, you know? <laughs> so, 
I was looking for a doctor of color. And at the time, I don't know about now, but at the time, there was not that many African-American OBGYNs, mm-hmm. female. And I lived in Northern California. And so I found a Persian lady mm-hmm. and um, she had a private practice and she happened to be, I guess, allowable to, um, you can go to certain hospitals, if you will, kind of like here. And the place that she recommended that where we could go and actually have, have our son, um, they had, they were experienced in births and, you know, maternity mm-hmm. wards and whatnot. So I was like, okay, cool. So the place looked comfortable. I didn't go take a tour beforehand, <laughs> so that was probably stupid of me. But I, when I went to go visit her, she was kind. She was nice. Um, I always joke that she wore heels to every appointment, not just any heels. I mean, like, good six-inch heels to every appointment, even when I had the cesarean. She was the only person who could calm me down during the emergency C-section, an unplanned yeah, emergency C-section. and that is a valuable provider. She, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, to answer your original question, the way you go about knowing what to ask is to start with getting birth education. In DFW specifically, there are a number of childbirth educators. And um, I would ask any provider that you're interviewing or just ask online, who are the community childbirth educators? Or you can just search it. Um, Nakia Lawson with um, the Natural Birthing Way Project is uh, does community education for free once a month, free a free full day class that she provides lunch, um, except for December. And that is an amazing um, resource for our community to have to find out what birth is like. It's just, you know, it's a starter course. If you want to have techniques for birth, that's another class. And she can point you in those resources. But I would think, I think that finding a community childbirth educator is the first step to having a quality experience. If you don't have the education, if you don't know that you don't know something, you don't know to ask for it. Exactly. So seek out a birthing class as education first, and that will give you so many great ideas for questions that are important to you. Um, there is birth boot camp. Those are mm-hmm. those educators are all over the place, mm-hmm. and they are wells of knowledge of knowledge as well. What's yeah. a birth boot camp? Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. Boot camp? I, you I, do push ups. You, me. you do push ups on your on your pregnant belly. No, I'm just kidding. no. Do not lie to her like that. <laughs> I will I not be also, going to birth I am camp, also yeah. very gullible, so yeah. I'm just going yeah. <laughs> As she is. Yeah, because I was like, oh, what? I was like, as soon camp. as you said that, I was like, oh, we have that in common. Yeah. 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 Just like, go there a go deep bit. into it. Go <laughs> in. Go in. No, it's um, education, and you can do, like, some of the um, educators will teach it over a weekend. Some of them will teach it over, like, six weeks where you go with your partner. You learn techniques. You learn what to expect. Plan Bs, Plan Cs. It's, uh, it's a very extensive um, birth course. And so a lot of the birth boot camp educators are also doulas. Um, it is possible now for black women, since we're speaking specifically about black women, to have a fully black birth team, mm-hmm. um, which it was not for a long time. But it is possible now to have a black midwife or OB, a black birth photographer, a black doula, a black placenta encapsulator. So as black women, I understand, and I'm sure you understand, that sometimes it is very important and it increases the number the amount of safety that you feel and the comfort that you feel to be surrounded by women who experience things the same way that you do not that any of us are monoliths but um 
it's important to know that you could, you have that option in DFW now. I think it's amazing. I think it's awesome, too. I'm just thinking personally, sometimes when we are pregnant, we have that, we're at that vulnerability state, right? Mm-hmm. So, so vulnerable. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, like you said, going back, your socioeconomic status or your profession or anything like that. It's, it's, it, we're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we don't know the questions to ask, no matter mm-hmm. how educated we are about it. So I'm just thinking, as far as taking a step back, you're you're mentioning these community um, education classes, but how does a, a black woman once they find out because they're just worried about you know being pregnant and having a safe pregnancy, mm-hmm. and the way to do that would be just to keep going to my prenatal appointments if I have access to my pre uh, prenatal appointments. So it's like, how do you, you know? Just taking a step back, like beyond Dr. Lawson, you know, providing those uh, classes, how else can we inform the women that, you so know, there's that stuff is, out there? You're, that is an amazing question. And <laughs> don't, <laughs> <doesn't, I. laughs> don't all great answers start like that? No. <laughs> that is an amazing question. No, access is absolutely um, just right below racism in my in my book for her. <laughs> so right, I, that's yeah. I, I I puzzle over that all of the time. Um, in my free time, this is what I think about: how do we reach women who are going into an appointment and they also like say this is a made up scenario? They are on Medicaid and they just pick the first doctor that the person on two one one told them to choose, and that per that doctor has. 83 patients due in the same month and really no time to sit down and talk. How do we reach that person? And so that is why I am working so hard on building bridges between OBs and midwives. And I really, um, in the next year, would like to create a pamphlet of some sort, um, educational, about maternal mortality, the causes, and what we can do, like common sense steps, because a lot of it is on providers. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, you know what I mean? But there are common sense steps that we can take and things that we can educate ourselves on in order to produce better outcomes. For right. example, like stress, chronic stress, generational stress, that is a huge cause. And so there are things that we can do um, proactively. And I would like to get a pamphlet like that into offices that see those first time moms that really that's when you want to reach mm-hmm. a mom is her first pregnancy, she's excited about it, but she doesn't know that she doesn't know things. Yeah. And you don't want that bad experience. Um, So that, I mean, I'm constantly working on how to reach that mom. And I think once we, we get those bridges built, say we get a chiropractor to um, develop a relationship with um, an OB that serves patients like I just described, um, that chiropractor will then be also connected to midwives, to um, nutritionalists, to doulas, and will all you all you have to do is get that OB to like refer out to that chiropractor once in a while to someone who who they think would benefit from their services, and it opens up a whole new world. It only takes that one recommendation, that one interaction. You just hit a nail. Um, are OBs open to you? Um, doing that um i've i've not had anyone refuse to have lunch with me just yet okay, okay. so um well it's one I thing think, to have lunch with you and it's but it's well, another thing to carry over your conversation. i think that um i think it's really not um i think that 
most people, when you're face-to-face, and that is a thing about me, is I do not do a lot over the phone. I do not do a lot on Messenger. I would much rather meet people face-to-face. It is much harder to tell someone that you don't have anything in common with them. We're trying to find commonalities. Mm-hmm. So for an OB to say to me, oh, what you're trying to do has nothing to do with uh, with what I do, it's harder face-to-face. And so if I talk to an OB and I'm saying, hey, this person has these beliefs in in common with what you have on your website as your beliefs for what a birth should be, why don't we all meet together and um, form this relationship so that maybe you can refer a patient out um, for this care, mm-hmm. you know, every once in a while. And they're more willing to remember that conversation because I'm not coming at them from a point of, hey, you're doing you're doing your job all wrong, okay. which is not the case, right. you know? No. I mean, no one, well, most people don't get into um, the birth industry because they, you know, want to make a bunch of money and they don't like babies. Right. Like sometimes it bees like that, but yeah, you know? <laughs> but that, also you can, that's anything. Yeah, that's, that's any, anything. that's any. Yeah, and so for the most part, I've had very good um, results with bridge building, and I think that if I can continue to do that, and if those people that I bridge build with also chime in and say, "Hey, this is another person you should meet with," or "I met with this person," and we can plug them in this way, um, I think it will get better. There's a few projects. There is a um, nonprofit called Abide Women's Health Services. Have y'all heard of that? No, I have not. No. Um, they are in South Dallas. It is um, led by Cecily Smith and Bethany Stricker. And they are um, aiming to create a birth center in South Dallas um, f- that creates equity that pays their students. Uh, student midwives don't get paid, which is why there's such a lack of black midwives um, because black women in particular need to be paid um, in order to do like two to three years of births. Mm -hmm. Um, So they want to like create equity. They want to pay their midwives. They want to create a luxurious, beautiful experience for black women. And so they are, um, we're so excited to be donating a portion of the proceeds from Birth Texas for the event this year to them um, so that they can like get started on fulfilling their mission because it's going to be great. So there are people out there that are doing the work on the ground. Nakia Lawson is another one I talked about earlier. Um, that are wanting to make this better. And we just have to clue them in and connect them with the right people and help them be successful so that we can all be successful. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, I was, no, no, no. That's awesome. I, I guess my, my brain was going towards, you know, we talk about, oh, you just look up this information and get connected. But I'm thinking about, well, how does someone afford this? Because it sounds like a lot of, like, co-payments or Afford um, affordability just seems so. There's a way to do what you what you want to do if you set your mind to it. So, um, Natural Way Birthing Project they provide low cost doulas. Um, I think I don't I don't want to say because I might be wrong and I don't want to put that out. But if you look at their Facebook page, um, you can apply for a low cost doula on there. Um, you can do student doulas. You can, um, there are some chiropractors that are box on the wall, pay what you can afford. Um, there are, uh, you know, birth photography is one that there are not generally discounts, but you can generally find um, someone who is willing to shoot your birth for a low cost if you let them use it for promo stuff. There's a way to work it out. And I think that if you talk to, like I said, a, a community ed- educator, um, 
in childbirth, you will have access to those resources. I really think that's a, a great first step. So if we can connect and put out there um, that there are free educational resources, you'll have the birth you want. If you get that education, you can have the birth that you want. And I also think that the role of the community educator can also help debunk some of these myths that are associated with um, childbirth. For example, we're throwing around the terms doulas. We're throwing around midwives. A lot of people are not very familiar, right. no matter mm-hmm. with the, these type of people. Right. And so— Personally speaking, I had a student doula mm-hmm. for my first mm-hmm. because the finances were not where it should be because mm-hmm. they never are, right? And then for my second, although I had a, I will say this, I, I loved my doula for the first one, um, she, but she's a student doula. Mm-hmm. The second time around, I was very adamant on having the birth that I wanted. And so I actually sought out a doula or kind of bumped into, honestly, a doula who happens to be a person of color, right? Who I love, who I love. (laughs) And she knows that I love her so much because I ended up having the birth that I really wanted with her help. As far as doctors, I was like you with with my first one. um, I... I had been, just for general self-care, I was going to an OBGYN, and so I was like, I'm pregnant, hey, might as well just continue down this path. But, you know, as my pregnancy progressed, I noticed that we were not on the same wavelength as far as things that I wanted with my first. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I get pregnant with my second, and I had the same experience like you. Like, I pretty much fired her, like, midway, and... You know, nothing to her. Yeah, just, um, this isn't working. But this this isn't working out. And I think personally, there was there was an internal conflict as far mm-hmm. as like a relationship you have with a doctor. Should I break up with him? You know, like yeah, because we're already you, in this. You so. know, mm-hmm. I'm already halfway through. Some some people are probably like, oh, I might as well just. I'm, I've started. I might as right. well just end it with that. Mm-hmm. But since I was so adamant about having the birth that I wanted. And then I had my my doula, my person of color, my black woman doula, who's really in my ear, like, well, if you don't like that person, you need to, mm-hmm. like, really. And there's really something like, powerful about that. Just. It was totally empower, totally empowering. And my fear was just that no one would take me because I was so far along with my second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, hmm, let me make some calls. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I was like, Okay. And so she was like, nope, here, call this doctor. So a little different from you in that the person, the my my next doctor was someone that was referred to me, yes, right. but it was from a birth worker. Yeah, and doulas also are great at that. Like, if you can't get in contact with, I do recommend getting the education, but if you can't get the education, doulas are everywhere. Yeah. And they are, so you can completely tailor your doula experience because there's so many doulas. Yeah. Um, and they have, they work everywhere. Like, that is something ori- kind of, um, not original, that's not the word I'm looking for, but... Um, individual about them is that they work in all settings so mm-hmm. doulas work in home births they work at birth centers yeah. they work at hospitals they know people and so that is also another great resource for finding the birth team of your dreams right and although mine wasn't all you know people of color but I just think that one important person your doula yeah um honestly is the next best person next to your mm-hmm. husband yeah no they're I mean I'm it's not, not I was, more important yeah. depending you know on how your husband luckily your partner <laughs> is excuse me your partner is so do you find no, there's yeah. more doulas in Texas and say other states 
I'm not sure. Um, honestly, I know that there are a lot of doulas in North Texas and in Texas in general. Um, they, they are, uh, man, I love doulas. They're just great. I just love the rise of the black doulas in the yes, DFW area. I've noticed, I was just, I've noticed I'm just, so many. And, and midwives. And, um, okay, I'm just going to shout her out because I love her so much. My doula, Nikki Knowles. Oh, okay. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> I met her like a couple months ago. Actually. I know because she's, yes. And so she, with her, she gave me the birth that I wanted. Yeah. I mean, it's like an emotional thing and she knows I get all. You know, I mean, emotional. Like, about there's it. no crying in baseball. So but just like you, you know, yeah, it was kind of no, when my first. I had an emergency cesarean, and so when it was time for the second with Doctor One, she was like, "Well, you know, cesarean, I a- cesarean, cesarean." I was like. <sighs> You know what? You lying. You lying. <laughs> you know, and you know what? You lying because I watched my sister, mm-hmm. who is seven years older than me, have a V-back when V-backs were nil. Mm-hmm. This is back in the early 90s. And not to say there weren't, you know, mm-hmm. there weren't, yeah. but V-backs were not popular um, in the early 90s. My niece was born in 91. And so... You know, it was kind of like that support from her. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was, when she was telling me about that, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I am going to do, th- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm going to do this. I luckily have a, my husband is a fantastic birth partner. Mm-hmm. Um, he's great at birth. I don't, I don't know what happens to him the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good Ouch. at birth, though. He's so Ouch. good at birth. No, the I'm just kidding. He's going to listen to that and I'm going <laughs> to pay for it. But, um, I had a doula at my last birth. Um, I had my friend doula. My my uh, she was six at the time. My six year old, and um, just explained to her what was going on. So it was really cool that like my kids got to attend my birth, and there was a doula there for them. And mm-hmm. yeah, there are so many ways to tailor your birth experience, and I think that that's important. Same. So how does the the mortality part come yeah. into play though? When we're is it because we're not having the experience we want or where where is this like taking place where we're the ones who are experiencing more of a mortality than anybody else? So as I said earlier, it really goes back to racism. Um, there are many examples of how black women are treated and it's implicit bias. It's not that like the person at the front desk is like, oh, this, this is a black person. We have to like ask her the same questions eight times because yeah, it's not that it's, it's implicit bi- bias. And I think that if we hold our medical professionals accountable and ask them when we're interviewing them, have you received implicit bias training? And make it known that that is a priority. If they're asked that that question six times, chances are the they're going to go get training. They yeah. have to get continuing education every year anyway. They're going to make it implicit bias training if they're asked that, if they know that it's valuable. But if they don't know that it's valuable and we're just taking what is told to us with a grain of salt and moving on, then it's not going to um, be repaired. So, um, for example... Uh, say a black woman will come in for services and be asked, um, you know, is this is this the father of your child? 
Oh, are you married? Oh, those like, microaggressions. Yeah, those, yeah, exactly. Those microaggressions. Those are continuing, and those cause a woman stress. What happens when you're stressed? Your, Your blood pressure, pressure goes, goes up. up. And then you say, can I have a few minutes for my blood pressure to go down? Because now I'm stressed. I'm in this space. I don't want to be here. I'm uncomfortable. This is not, you know, it's in, it's a medical office. It's not meant to make you comfortable. Right. So you need a why minute. No, you can't even a, ask. Like, why, why do medical professionals have to even ask, are you married to, or not? To see if you have a support system. Yeah. Is there a but way to they not don't have to do that? Question? I mean, okay. you can say, you can absolutely say, we're done here. Ask and answer. Like, I answered that. You can say no. You don't have this to. This is to, true. You're absolutely right. Right. And you if, you're, if your medical professional is so, like, sensitive that they can't take you, like, saying no, then that may be also <laughs> something think to think it's, about. It's that, in addition to, I think, that stigma that medical professional slash doctor equals right. ultimate decision right. maker. But also, like, insurance makes it hard for them yeah. as well. Yes. Like, you have to get this, yeah. or we won't pay you, kind of thing. So, I mean, there's so many different factors, but I think if we hold our medical professionals accountable and stop that stress at the door, that one will improve, you know, that at least that outcome if you're not stressed walking in the office and you know that the 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 people that you're speaking to in the office are going to treat you with respect and listen to you, mm-hmm. you're going to have a better outcome. Um, but racism goes on to affect your experience in the hospital. Like, say you don't take the hospital tour. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know where you're going. You don't know any of the nurses. Um, that experience, when you get in, you're more likely to be um, ordered to do something or asked to sign something without having a chance to read it. Um, I hear stories all the time about women who are asked to like sign things while they're having a contraction. Yeah. yeah. Like you yeah. can't, you can't wait a minute. Yeah. Let me tell yes. you. <laughs> I, I did have that happen. I was going to say, so they wanted to give me, I can't remember, maybe it was Pitocin or something mm-hmm. like that with my second. As I'm having a contraction, the resident walks in. I kid you not. She's just like, well, we have our little chat. And I was like, yo, I want to wait. You know, at least let me, you know, kind of have these contractions, see what's going on, see if the, you know, Mm -hmm. if I dilate more. She says, okay, walks out. Nurse comes right in. Okay, I'm going to give you the podosis. I said, yo. (laughs) I was like, for one, I'm already, I'm already pissed off. I I was like, the resident just left not even 45 seconds ago. And where does that stress go? Straight to your baby. Yeah. I was like, no, I told you I'm going to wait. And so there's that. So to add to that, because I'm being quote unquote defiant, you know. And you're feeling rushed. And you're you're feeling feeling like if I don't produce a baby in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to have drugs pumped through my system. And like, hopefully at that point, you know that any intervention is a cascade of interventions. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but my personality is like, I don't give a fuck. Listen, you know, I will get up from this bed and leave this hospital. You know, that's kind of my personality with the second one. Um, But. It, it just pissed me off. And it's kind of like, again, you're having a contraction. You're in a vulnerable vulnerable space. You're going to end up, you know, signing or doing whatever um, just because you, it, it's a stressful situation at this time. You so rush, isn't you know? it best to also have a birth plan? Like, yes, but so, uh, it, it is great it is. to have it's a great. birth plan. If you have I a mean, doctor that's going to follow you. It. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like oh. for you and your doula to know this is what you want so that your doula can... I encourage you when the going gets tough and say, hey, remember, is, are you sure that you want this intervention? They're offering it to you, but remember we talked about your birth plan. That gives them a starting point. But most times at the the hospital, like your birth plan is, it means, the, it means nothing the to them. Yeah, yeah. So totally. it's really for you to advocate for yourself because 
at the hospital, unless you have, unless you've done the work and you've done the interviews and you know your medical professional is going to have your back and follow your birth plan, and you know that if they suggest an intervention, it's because you need an intervention, Mm -hmm. then your birth plan is really... It's just for you. Um, it's for oh. it's for you to be empowered, which I'm saying it's important. But don't think that because you walk in the hospital with a piece of paper that says what you want, those people that are going to switch shifts and do all the you and know what I mean they're they're not them. they're going to go on with their their jobs yeah. as usual. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, it's as far as maternal mortality. Um, so there is a task force. Um, and they, so in 2014, they released a report um, about causes of maternal mortality. And it was, all the statistics were written as um, per 100,000 births, right? So it was like 24 per 100,000. And then um, and then 2016, they released another report and they just fiddled the numbers. Like, <laughs> if you, you can go on the... Um, just search maternal mortality task force report Texas. Um, and then 2016, they did the same numbers per 1,000 births. So then the number goes down because it's a, oh, per a lower uh, number yeah, of births. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, oh, it's better. Everything's no, fine no. here. So, no. so we actuality, really have to... The numbers are probably right. the same, if not higher. We really, exactly. We really have to... Um, look out for ourselves and look out for our community and be speaking to these young women who are starting to um, have families and letting them know that there are resources out there for them. You know, improper reporting is a huge thing Mm -hmm. um, because it's just a checkbox. Yeah. So, I mean, who, like, if you're filling out hundreds of pages of paperwork a day as a nurse, you you absolutely might accidentally check a checkbox. And maternal mortality is like the year after you give birth. So it's like, all of that time mm-hmm. span. It's a it's a long time span, but also a, the blink of an eye. Um, so it involves like car crashes. If you die in a car crash three months after you have a baby, that is considered a maternal mortality. Um, so it's hard to know that the numbers that we are collecting and the data that we're collecting is correct. Um, but it also is still scary data. We're still four times more likely to die as black women um, than our white counterparts. And that is, is scary no matter how how you cut it. So you mentioned that, like, you know, if you die in a car crash three months after, we're not taking into factor maybe some other postpartum things that may so, come into play. Um, statistics that are gathered, um, and I am I don't have anything in front of me, I'm thinking off the top of my head, but I know um, drug use is something that they calculate in the report. Um, hemorrhage is another cause that's calculated in the report. Um, domestic violence. Um, so these things are things that we can address with women. Like these things are that are things that community organizers can work on in a very active approach um, to help with to help with those statistics. Um, but I do not want to lose the message that racism is what's killing women. Is that that's what's killing Black women is racism because no matter your socioeconomic status, you can be a mom on Medicaid having your fourth baby, you can be a college educated um, graduate, like professional having your first at forty, mm-hmm. you, anywhere in there, anywhere in that spectrum, and you will still have a higher chance of dying at birth than a white person living in one of the poorest neighborhoods. Mm. So that 
tells you that racism is what is killing Black women. Because what is the difference there? The color of your skin. Absolutely. In America. In in Texas. Tell us about this. Tell us about this, the the convention. So, um, Birth Texas has a convention every year. It used to be called Birth Roundup. It is called Birth Texas Convention now. Um, It is, it used to be held around Earth Day, but this year we're holding it in the summer. And it's twofold purpose. Um, It's super educational. Our lineup of speakers is fantastic. Um, We are working on providing continuing education credits for professionals that attend um, because we have Shafia Monroe coming, who is the um, founder of ICTC International Child. hold on a second my acronyms all over my brain um she is um a midwife and a midwife trainer and she does cultural competency training and she is speaking um on mortality we have the afia center speaking on maternal mortality um we have robin marty who is the author of crow after row um, coming to speak about bridge building between um, pro-choice and pro-life organizers. And I think that is really cool because everyone is so, um, not everyone, but in those, in, those, in those spaces, people are very divided. And I really think that it's so important that we just sit at the same table and talk because we have so much more in common than we have different yeah. differences. Yeah. And so um, she is speaking... Dr. Lexi Maleski of our birthing home wellness community is speaking um, about community involvement. We have uh, Maite speaking about postpartum womb health. Uh, So there is a professional track, a consumer track, and a vendor fair. So we'll have a ton of vendors. Um, We're doing a lot of giveaways at the end of the event. So the purpose of the event is, one, to have people come into the room and... um, get the education to hear the speakers it's a great opportunity for a first-time mom to come in and like look at cute baby stuff but also like meet some doulas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. meet some midwives meet some ob's you know um listen to this information find something because it only again you have to hear that one sentence that catches your attention and you'll go home and google it like yeah, we all have phones with internet access at the palm of our hand we have so much information but we don't know to look for it so the purpose of the convention is one to fundraise mm-hmm. like i said earlier we're giving a portion of our um proceeds to abide um women's health services check them out online okay and uh the second um purpose is to spread that information okay you said ICTC? Yes. I think it's International Center for Traditional Childbearing. Child there you go. <laughs> That's a mouthful. I was like, oh, oh. That's a mouthful. Yeah. It is. So this, is, this, this convention is really for our, our moms, parents, um, anyone wanting to get providers. Birth, providers. It is, it's for everybody under everybody. the sun. Everybody, okay. yeah. And I saw online you were doing a art of... We're doing art, the art of birth. So I'm really excited about that. And it is still coming together. Um, but we are going to... I'm hoping to find some like spoken word poets to present. Um, like birth-related poetry in between speakers. Wow. Um, we're going to have art like belly casts and like just photography and art depicting birth so if you are an art fan come out for that and if you see that um 
Tickets are $15. And again, this is fundraising. So a portion of the proceeds from all ticket sales will go to Abide Women's Health Services. You're helping them out a lot by attending. Um, and vendor booths are still available. It's birthtexas.org slash vendors or birthtexas.org slash tickets for more information on the convention. But it should be really amazing. And it is my first year um, as president planning it. And uh, our board of directors has been great at helping me, but it really is um, my vision for what I've heard from our community as to what um, they need. The education. Come to life. The- yeah, it really, I, I'm... I'm excited for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. I'm yeah. really excited yeah. as well. Yeah. No pressure. It'll be fine. I mean, what's <laughs> the worst that can happen? Nothing, I can, like, yeah. not give any money to the charity I'm so passionate about. That is not fine, actually. I know. No, that was just me, like, writing myself, like, <laughs> the constant pressure to succeed that I feel every moment of every day. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine here. <laughs> You know, you, we talked about, like, you know, involvement with the doulas, involvement with your OBGYN. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, how do we involve the church community? So that is actually something I was thinking about just Meanwhile, yesterday. Meanwhile, Tasha's, I like, getting real close to the microphone. I don't know why y'all are in my head, because everything I've been thinking about, I guess because I think about it constantly, so it's not that much of a surprise. Um, <laughs> I, I say really, that because we literally had this discussion literally, like, five minutes before we... Ta-da! Um, <laughs> so as far as um, churches, uh, let me measure my words here. Um, no, it's okay. No, you don't no, you don't. No, I do, because I don't want to leave anyone out of the conversation. So as far as churches, a lot of churches have very um, views that aren't very bendable. Um, Mm. And so as far as some like mega churches, for example, they have their own CPCs, like crisis pregnancy centers under them, and they are not really wanting to work with the community. They're, They're wanting to do the work that they want to do and they're what what the community needs is money. So you're a big church, you have funds. We need you to put these funds into helping women not die. Support some educators, like fund their, give them space to teach, you know, pay for lunch. And um from my outreach with churches, I've not had much success there. Um, because they have their own they have their own programs. And I understand wanting to support your program. You have to look out for yourself. Um, so if you have But why any, can't everybody work together? That's a great question. Yeah. If you have any suggestions, <laughs> um, I would love to hear that. Also, another thing about like government grants, for example, and working with churches is that once they give you money, there are a lot of stipulations on that money. Sure. Mm, so sure. like you can't work with these people if we're gonna give you this money. You can't advocate for this specific type of client or this specific type of decision if we're going to give you money. And so that makes true community work hard because at the heart of true community work, you want every person to succeed. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those are some of the difficulties that I've um, encountered what do you, what are your thoughts? I've kind of dominated this conversation. No, no not no, at all. No, um, I agree 90% of what you're saying. I think, let me choose my words wisely. See? <laughs> it is necessary. <laughs> y'all, y'all, I like we're about to get bombed or something. No, <laughs> no, it's just, you don't want to. 
<laughs> How can I say? I'm just going to say it. To me, I'm like, there is a business side to church. Absolutely. Right? To everything. To everything. Yeah. yeah. Right? So if you have your CPCs, like you're mentioning, to me, you know, if you at least put that out there, that helps build membership to your commute to your church, possibly. Right. Right. If mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. that comes to your CPC, then yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. I can understand. You know, kind of see where I'm going here. So, you know, let's stay in the inclusive inclusivity right. of what, you know, what we're about and what we're offering. Um of course, obviously, church has some certain beliefs about childbearing and childrearing and things like that, and which, for the most part, tend to lean more conservatively. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I'm, and I, I can't speak for Birth Texas, but it seems they're I'll very work much— with anyone. You'll work with anyone, but it's yeah. also you're advocating for yourself. You're advocating for your body. So right. sometimes your thoughts may not align— if you're going through, you know, your your pregnancy mm-hmm. with what the church may or have to offer. And so maybe if you are someone sitting in a, PC, a CPC and you're like, yeah, this is not for me, you know, or whatever it is that mm-hmm. they're offering is not for you. Um, will you get some backlash behind that? Will there be some negative um, connotations associated with it? We would hope not. Um, but... Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts, and I'll just leave it I like will that. clarify my previous statement of I'll work with anyone with who— I will work with anyone who wants women to succeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that—so where my confusion comes in there is that, like, aren't churches— you do want membership, you do want, you know, their eventual tithing and donations to come to your church, but don't you also want to serve? Like, don't, don't churches want that outreach, and they— even if a woman comes into a CPC that is run by a church, and the reason that women come into CPCs that are run by churches is they say, free pregnancy tests, free ultrasound. Um, and they come in and say, this is a non-Christian person that comes in. The goal is to get them to come to church. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, to, right. and to keep their baby. Right, right. So they come in for a free ultrasound and a pregnancy test. And they are told, and this is a this is a common experience. I'm not making this up. They are told, okay, watch this video. It's 45 minute video. This video basically tells them that if they have an abortion, they will go to hell, which is what that church believes. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're feeling bad. They that wasn't even on their plate. That wasn't even on their mind. They just wanted the free ultrasound and the pregnancy test. Yeah, goodness. and now they're feeling guilty. Then they go in for the ultrasound, and they won't let dad back. Um, with with them, with the mom. And so, so the, why not? Wait, 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 wait. This is a common experience. Wait, yeah. So this, they won't, you have to, because moms are easily guiltable, I guess is the thought process there. So they're back in their ultrasound and mom's getting the ultrasound and she um, is asked, they ask if they can pray with her. And she's already uncomfortable from this video. And so I, I, I see the beauty in reaching a woman, a woman at their most vulnerable state and their most vulnerable time and hoping to reach them and touch them and get them to go to church. But I also see how traumatizing that could be. And I see both sides of those coins and it's really something that I struggle with personally um, because I want everyone to succeed and have the best birth that they can have. 
And I so don't. So you see, kind of where I was trying to go. Absolutely, with that, you know, absolutely. Because I, I just say, think it's such a benefit. I think it would be such more of a benefit to have your organization help bridge the gap with the yeah. doulas and the OBGYNs, especially when you're having a women's revival or right. a women's retreat or great a couple's in theory. Retreat. Great I know, in theory, right? But I guess I'm just. But I'm as the Jen rainbow is, as Jen is mentioning. So why don't we? If if the women in a church community, not just the women, but the members in a church community said to their church, this is not the right thing to do. We need to spend this money actually reaching women. We need to give this money to organizers who are trying to reach women. We need to stay in our lane as a church. They can put our logo on their brochures and say we were a donor. That's great. But we don't need to dictate to them how they help if they are doing the work. And that is a beautiful thing that I would love to see happen more often, but it's not something that happens and that's very a true, often. That is a true separation of church and state, mm-hmm. which does not happen mm-hmm. down these parts in the South. Mm-hmm. And so that bridge building, I feel like is crucial because we just, I've, I've been primarily focused on bri- um, building bridges with birth workers, Yeah, but also um, CPCs are a first point of contact for so many pregnant women. I was going to say. And, um, yeah. 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 Thanks for just adding that to my workload. It's fine. So, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I no, mean, since right. you just having lunch with people. You're right. I know you are. Right. 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 You know what I'm saying? We're just throwing I've been eating lots of there. good food. Here's a food first lady <laughs> people to have lunch with. No. So, um, uh, I guess to kind of round out, to kind of oh, summarize sorry, <laughs> summarize with all of this, what's, as as a woman, as a black woman, what is one thing you want us to take away um, as far as um, mortality, as far as maybe a first-time mom, pregnancy, you know, as far as advocating for themselves? What What's that one thing? If there's that one thing you want to share with us black women, what is it? Um, the takeaway, I would say, is hold your care providers accountable mm-hmm. for their microaggressions, for the things that they say to you and ask of you. Question everything. Um, call your representative. Stay active in your birth. Just as you want your um, children to grow up and be active members of society and change the world, we can change the world by staying active and being active participants in the things that are happening in our communities. So tell one person, tell one, one person that racism is killing women. Mm-hmm. Tell one care provider that you see the thing that they did and it wasn't okay. Tell one representative that you see that they just messed with the numbers and they didn't do anything to fix it and the money is still not going to underserved communities. The money is still going to the wrong places and we can't fix it without the funding. Just tell one person one of those things and we can make a difference. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being our guest mammologist today. It was so much fun. (laughs) Thank you for having me and please come to convention. Oh yeah. July July. 21st, Arlington Convention Center. That's right. That was the time. (laughs) Plug everything. Where can we find you? What can we... Tell us about the convention. July 21st, Arlington Convention Center. Um, Again, tickets are at birthtexas.org slash tickets. You can find us online on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at birthtexas. 
Um, you can find me, Jennifer Sarduy, S-A-R-D-U-Y. Just search me anywhere. I'll add you. I accept everybody's friend requests. I love your handles. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I hope to meet every one of you. I will be the bald lady in the Birth Texas shirt. Come up and introduce yourself. I hope to see you at convention. We're looking forward to it. You'll see us yeah. there as well. Yes. Right? So come out and say hello. Yeah, we have a table. Yeah. <laughs> so you can find, um, actually, we actually invite you guys to continue the discussion um, online via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you can find us at Mahogany Mammology on all of those and as well as uh, iTunes and as well for Google Play Music. I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And this is Mahogany Mammology. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.